Fantastic. I know that you guys have been doing a series in the book of Philippians, uh, Partners in the Gospel. I'm not actually going to jump into that, but I just love the whole sense of we are partners together. And as Owen said, I lead a church uh, called Redeemer, which is in Ealing, West London. I'm sorry that my wife is not here. Everybody says, where's your wife? Uh, Her sister came up to stay for the weekend. She doesn't come very often, so they're having some ladies' time together. But we love the fact that we partner together in the gospel. I love the fact that I'm part of a bigger family, a tribe called Advance. For, for the first time in my life, I went to Nepal uh, two weeks ago to visit some Advance churches out there. And I just want to tell you guys, it's breathtaking. Uh, I have never been before, I land in Kathmandu, I go to this conference, there's about 35 advanced churches in Nepal, they'd gathered 300 leaders together. Some of these folk had smuggled over the border from India, if you know anything about India, you know that actually it's really, really challenging for the gospel there. The, the, the couple sat right behind me, they had taken a 50 hour coach journey to get to the conference. I mean, I, I just thought, man, did they just loop the loop? I've got no idea how big the world is. 50 hours because they wanted to come and meet and be partners in the gospel. Uh, our church has been, uh, we've connected with a church in Kathmandu. Uh, I know Advance have been encouraging some folk to do that. And I just said to the guy who's leading the church there, tell me your story. Did you grow up in a church family? He said, no, no, we grew up Hindu. I said, oh, it's quite a change. He said, well, my mum was unwell. And as a boy, he was, I think he said about five or six at the time, he said, we go to the priest and to say, my mum's unwell, is there anything you can do? And the priest says, no, there's not. So we then go to a witch doctor. And the witch doctor's unable to do anything for his mother. They come across a Christian missionary who says, Jesus is able to heal your mum. And the dad says, well, if Jesus can heal her, We've become Christians. Jesus heals her, and the whole family have followed Jesus ever since. It's like 40 years ago. You just think, wow, their, their passion for the gospel and gospel advance, I just find breathtaking. You know, I, I, I mean, there's things about every culture which is great, but it, it was amazing. Um, they work six days a week. Their day off is Saturday. So I was asked to preach on a church on a Saturday, I, I kid you not, it was converted chicken coop. I mean, it is, it is probably about the size of this here. And it was just a tin roof like this. Everyone had to take their shoes off outside. We all sort of funneled it. There was probably about 60 people in here. There was no chairs for anyone. So all the kids were sat at the front and they're worshipping God like this. And, you know, I preached my heart out. And they say, hey, anybody want to receive from Jesus? The whole church comes forward. <laughs> You feel like saying, no, I think you've misunderstood. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not in England anymore. It's just wonderful to see their passion for the gospel. And I guess it stirred me, which has been challenged Redeemer. And I want to bring something of that to you. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love it. I hope you all have got Bibles. Your kids have them rushing out to the kids' work. Acts 2, verse 1. I, I am aware that it is... Palm Sunday, I'm aware traditionally this would be the time when we celebrate Jesus sitting on the donkey and, and riding to Jerusalem. This is the time traditionally where we'd celebrate, hey, the king has come and we've shouted hallelujah. 
But I, I felt something in my spirit about, actually, I'd like us to look at the time when the Holy Spirit comes. And actually, I don't want us on Palm Sunday to look back just to this one event of the, of the King coming, which was amazing. But actually, I want him, us to realize that today, he wants to come this afternoon. And are we going to be those that are going to shout out and say, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Or are we going to sit? Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd speak to us through this passage. We don't just want to be entertained or informed. We want to be transformed by your Spirit. I thank you that even on this day when we remember what happened in the life of Jesus, we thank you you are here by your Spirit now. And we want to be those that say, whoa, Jesus, be King of my life. Lord, you know every life, you know every situation, you know troubled hearts, you know still hearts that there are. Come and touch each person for your glory. Amen. Right, we're just going to read the first four verses. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We know that, that Luke and Acts really are two halves of one book. We know it is the same author. And almost in the Gospel of Luke, he's been saying, hey, this is all that Jesus did when he was on earth. And Acts, this is all that the Holy Spirit continued to do through the church afterwards. I would love if, if we had time, we could flick through the book of Acts and just have our minds blown apart by the incredible things that God was doing. We read, don't we, literally in, in the first few chapters, thousands, thousands were saved and baptized because that's the gospel advance that we read in Acts. We read that there was a radical discipleship community that was established. Hey, you can leave that and come and be part of this radical family. We read about Peter that's wandering in to the center and sees somebody is lame and literally heals them in the name of Jesus. That's what we get in the book of Acts. Hey, when the authorities want to come and say, that's enough, stop. We just read about courage that is mind-blowing. Yeah, how, how do these people know? Oh, they were with Jesus. We read of that in Acts chapter 4. We, we read of the believers saying, hey, have my possessions. I mean, come on, that's radical right up front, isn't it? Yeah, I'll have the key to your beamer, please. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is suddenly, hey, let's all share one another's possessions. We see this here. There's an awareness of the holiness of God. Because when sin happens in the church, there's terrible consequences in Acts 5. The apostles heal many. It's not like, oh, here's the one. Do you know we did this? They heal many is what we read in Acts 5. Deacons are put into place in Acts 6 to care for the poor amongst the believing household. The first martyr. Stephen, we discover, you know, man full of the Holy Spirit, stoned to death. That is what we discover in the book of Acts. 
Then this, this persecution happens. Philip goes to Samaria. He casts out impure spirits and he heals the paralyzed. We then know that he has greater power than Simon the sorcerer. And we know that actually the Ethiopian eunuch is saved and the gospel is commissioned to the whole of Africa. That's what we read in Acts. Then we read about this guy Saul that wants to beat up the church and he has this Damascus Road experience and he's knocked by this light off the, off the horse for three days, does not eat or drink until God comes and saves him, physically opens his eyes, spiritually opens his heart and he's changed, he's transformed. We then read of Peter who heals somebody who's been in bed unwell for eight years. Just imagine that, eight years. God, I get fed up when I can't get to the doctor's appointment for like eight days. Peter heals this person. He then raises the dead. <laughs> I'm not even halfway through the book of Acts yet. Then we get this, don't we, in Acts 10, where Cornelius and the Gentiles are welcomed into the gospel. They'd only been spreading, really, the gospel mainly amongst Jews, but suddenly God opens their eyes, he gets this vision, and suddenly you to go to the Gentiles. And we read about that. We then read about Peter, who's in prison. He thinks he sees this vision, but actually it's a real angel that leads him out of prison. Barnabas and Saul are then sent on the first missionary journey. I have only covered the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. There are 28 to get through. And I'd like to believe that we are right in Acts 29 right now. That surely is the gospel. If we are partners in the gospel, this is how the story starts. This surely is how the story is meant to continue, isn't it? I don't know about you, it feels a little bit like a James Bond film, doesn't it? I mean, how many stunts can you do on one motorbike? How many things can you jump, you know, out of an aeroplane or land on a train? And you just think, man, this is just getting unrealistic now, isn't it? But, but this is the Bible. I would like to say this, you cannot be bored as a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes I think we think, oh, we almost get bored with Christianity. I don't think that's Christianity. I don't think if you read the book of Acts, you would get bored. I've got three kids. I say they're kids. Golly, they're going to be 28, 26, and 24 this year. And I've always said to them, you know what? I never want them to say, I'm just bored of Christianity. I always wanted my kid, you know, I thought, if my kid said to me, Dad, if one more blind person sees, that's it, I'm walking, I'm leaving, I've had enough. It just happens all the time. I wanted them to be so overcome with the radical nature of the kingdom of God. Okay, I don't do well on roundabouts. But now, whenever we used to go to, you know, like one of these parks and we'd be doing a roundabout, I'd say to the kids, no, it's all right, your mum will go with you. And they go, oh, scaredy cat. I said, no, no, my life in Christ is such an adventure. I don't need to go on a roller coaster. Is that true, your Christianity? Have you taken the seatbelt off because you no longer feel there's any excitement? Because I think if we look at the book of Acts and partnering together, we should see something that blows our minds. It shouldn't just be in Nepal. It shouldn't just be here. We're believing it for Foundation Church. So I've called this the Spirit-Fueled Church. And we get it, don't we, in these four verses in the book of Acts. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
What were you doing on the 11th of Feb? That's it, I've lost half of you, you haven't got a clue. You now want to get your phone out, you want to try and check it out, don't you? The disciples would have known what they were doing 50 days ago, because 50 days ago is when Jesus rose from the dead. That's the setting for this passage. Pentecost, 50 days later. They clearly remember what has happened. They are all together in one place. Sometimes I think that's the most important verse for my church in London. I don't know what it's like in Wokingham, but the danger is we think, well, I could, I could listen to the podcast later. I could catch up on it another time. I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here. But I tell you, there's something really precious about we gather together. There's something really precious about, oh, it's not you know, just when it suits me. We are together. Since they were all together in one place. Individualitis is the biggest disease that we suffer from as believers in London. I'll go when it suits me. I'll go if I haven't got something else to do. And when I sit there... Do you know, there was another church I visited in Nepal. They gave a dinner after you'd gone to the service. I thought, oh, are they just into curry? I could like this. Why on earth are you giving everyone a dinner? Why? Because some people had walked for five hours to get to the service. And they had a five-hour walk to get home. So if they didn't give them food, they were worried they wouldn't make it. I thought, what a challenge to be together. I want us to take from this and think, oh, come on, there's importance of getting together. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Look, every, every verse in the Bible is just mind-blowing, isn't it? We should have done a whole, I should have done a whole thing on this one verse. One word if I'd have been Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher in London. The suddenly of the Bible. Actually, if you did a word search, and you could do it on Bible Gateway, just on your computer, it's amazing how many suddenlies there are in the book of Acts. Suddenly, Philip leaves the Ethiopian eunuch. Suddenly, Paul is arrested on the road to Damascus. Suddenly, Peter is set free from prison. Suddenly, Paul is in prison, and there's an earthquake, and he's set free. Because what this stirs me is, who knows what God could do? Have we lost faith for the suddenness of God? Uh, the danger is, isn't it? You know, oh, you get your phone out. I could tell you what I'm going to be doing for the next six months. Or do I believe for the suddenness of God? Do I say, who knows what God's going to do this week? Who knows what God is going to stir up? There's something of faith here because they are trusting God. And then we get this picture, don't we? Wind from heaven. Wind is often a biblical picture of the power and presence of God. I was chatting this through with my wife because we're very close and I like to tell her about what I'm going to preach on. I said, you know, on the Red Sea, it talks about, you know, the, the sea being blown back by the wind of God. Actually, it's the breath of his nostril. She goes, I've never read that. Well, you can look it up. I think it's Exodus 15. Such was the power of God. It's almost like he breathed and the sea just parted. So there's something here of the powerful presence and the interaction of God. It comes from heaven. And what were the people doing? Sitting. Lazy bunch. 
I've stood up here doing all the work. I've been to church this morning and you guys have all sat down. But that's how it was here. Because this was nothing about them. It was all about God. And if I'm honest, I sometimes think sitting's fairly passive. It doesn't say they were up, they were strategizing, they were storming the heavens. They were sitting because this is a grace thing of God. And it's not, oh, suddenly, hey, if we really try hard enough, then I reckon we could advance the gospel. This is, oh, I'm here, but I know God is going to do something. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, fire is significant as a symbol of the presence of God. We know, don't we, that when the Israelites being led through the desert, they were led by a pillar of fire. We know that when Moses was a shepherd and he's looking after the sheep in the desert, he suddenly sees this bush that's on fire and he doesn't understand it and he goes towards it and God shouts him, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. There's something here of God coming on each of them. Although there was a sense of together, it's for every single person. Although there's this sense of, hey, we have come to gather together, it's not, oh, foundation church would just be blessed. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. And you might think, oh, not me. I'm in the background. I'm in the front row. I'm never. No, it's for each of them. This spirit fueled life is for each of you. And to underline that, we then read here in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. All. This is not an exclusive thing for some. It's not the best, the most holy, the most worthy. All are filled. Not a little, but a lot. Filled with the Spirit of God. Wow, what is that like? I think Owen was telling me there's more, church, uh, there's more cars per people in Wokingham than anywhere else in the country. In Ealing, 40% of our borough do not own a car. And the other 60% can't afford to fill them with petrol. The price of it is just astronomical, isn't it? You go along and think, man, alive, I'll, I'll, just, I'll put in 20 quid. But when you come to God, he wants to fill you completely. Not a little. It's not like there's a shortage. Hey, you can't have as much pasta or eggs or toilet rolls as you want. There's no shortage with God. It says here that he filled them. Can I just say, this is supernatural. This is not about good management for church. This is not about human techniques. This is not just about... I mean, I was thinking in that notice, I've got childlike faith. Could I go on the Easter egg hunt next Sunday? <laughs> it's not what age is it to be a child. No, this is something of God. And I want to say the spirit-fueled church is not meant to be something one-off that happened in the book of Acts. I believe it's for today. You see, this event was waited for for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. I mean, you can't really get your head around that. The Bible had been talking about this event 400 years ago. 
How do I know that? Because we read it in Acts 2, further on in the chapter. The prophet Joel says this. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They had been waiting for this prophetic word to be fulfilled. And God says, today. Wow. Guys and girls, young and old, rich and poor, this is for them all. This has been something that has been talked about and talked about. How can I say that? Why? Because we know, don't we? I told you that Luke and Acts is really the same book. Well, in the beginning of the book of Luke, we hear about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the prophet coming to tell us the Messiah is on his way. And in Luke 3.16, we read this. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow, so they've been this ancient history prophet, Joel. But then only three years ago, the disciples would have heard from John the Baptist, you know what? Power is coming for all. Jesus himself tells them, I want you to wait excitedly for the Spirit. I, I don't know about you, I often try and paint myself into the Bible. Yeah, I, I, you just can't imagine it, can you? I mean, you go to a funeral with Jesus and he raises the person from the dead. I mean, you go on a picnic and there's no food and, and he just feeds 15,000 people. You know what I'm saying? This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches him and is instantly healed. I mean, this is a riot, isn't it? I mean, sign me up. If I could go back to any time in history, surely I'd want to go there. I want to be in his gang, his gang. What does Jesus say to you if you're in his gang? It's better that I leave. What? No. I want to see you walk on water. I want to see you calm the waves. But he says, doesn't he, in John 14... All this was spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. He was saying to his disciples while he was alive, do you know what? One day I'm going to go and that's going to be great. What? He said, because I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. Wow. Even after he rose from the dead. In fact, I would like to suggest from what is recorded in the book of the Bible, the thing he seemed to talk about the most, definitely recorded the most, is wait for my spirit. We read it, don't we, in Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the spirit. It's almost like, hey, I've got this world mission. Are you ready to go? And they go, yes. He goes, wait. <laughs> what? When you get my Holy Spirit, then you go. Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit radically impacts us. 
We are to be a spirit-fueled church. John Stott, the English minister, says this. What we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Wow. Do you believe that? Are we? I just feel I want to ask you a question. We're going to end on it, but I'm starting now. Are you open to the Holy Spirit? Or do you pursue Him? Are you open to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, come and do whatever He likes. Or do you pursue Him? Because I'd like to challenge us today that we are to be those that pursue him. I, I told you about all these events that happened in the book of Acts in the first 12 chapters. We think the book of Acts covers about 33 years. We think these first 12 chapters cover about 13 years. Boom, 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 boom. Why? Well, I'll tell you, there's one thread for the whole of that. And it's they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that Owen teaches you the word diligently. And so I've got more verses on this afternoon's preach than I've probably used in any other because I know you want me to argue it from Scripture. So hold on and be prepared to look them up. Acts 4, verse 8. Peter is given an account of the Sanhedrin. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So they were facing really difficult times, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We then read in Acts 4, verse 31, the early church gathered in prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Oh, wow. So, Pete, you were telling me about all these things that happened, but we also see this same thread that's going along. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. It says in Acts 5, verse 32, they are being quizzed now by the Sanhedrin, the organized religious folk that don't really like what's going on. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I tell you, we ought to be a church that are filled with the Spirit of God. We can read, when they chose the deacon, they're choosing these deacons. They suddenly, they've got a, a logistical nightmare. These people are overlooked. The poor are overlooked. Come on, we must feed these groups. What kind of people do they choose? I mean, let's be honest. If it was us today, I'd have said, okay, who knows how to work a spreadsheet? Yeah, half of you haven't put your hand up. That's fine. We're not coming to you. But they didn't go for people that had organizational ability. It tells us in Acts 6, verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. This proposal pleased the group in verse 5. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't seem to matter whatever task that you're being asked to do, whether it's you the guys who are flicking on the computer today or whether you're here twiddling on the old guitar. We should be those filled with the Spirit of God. That's what we see in Scripture. Stephen, the first martyr. It's literally chapter by chapter I'm going through. Acts 7, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I mean, this is breathtaking. Because what is Jesus doing in heaven? He is sat down. 
Oh, but he stood up now because he's received the first martyr back home. And Stephen, full of the Spirit, understands this. I don't know what difficulty you're going through, but I do know this. You should be filled with the Spirit. I don't know what challenge you are facing right now, but this is what would be suggested here. Even when Saul, who becomes Paul, gets saved, Acts 8, read about it again, when they arrived... They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized. So actually, there's this challenge. Come on, you've been baptized? I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Why did, why did they suggest that? Because that happened in his own life. If you read in Acts 8, uh, sorry, Acts 9, when Paul actually gets saved himself, Saul, who becomes Paul, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, amazing, this guy hates them. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming, has sent me so that you may see again. We know physically his eyes were open, spiritually his eyes were open, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Wow. So when he's getting saved, there's something about the Holy Spirit coming. I, I don't want to bore you. This is the Bible. This, is, this, this should shape the way we think. The gospel goes global. I told you about that. That was through Cornelius and the Gentiles. Peter has this vision and says, oh, no, Lord, you can't do that, can't do that. Okay, okay, you can do that. Yeah, I'll go with this guy, Cornelius. He goes there and he is preaching his heart out. Acts 10, whilst Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Some have described Acts 10 as the Gentile Pentecost. I didn't want to get caught up in that and labelling it, but it was this powerful time. Whoa, the Holy Spirit comes. He says in verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptised with water. They have received the Spirit. And then Peter gets in trouble, so he has to go up to Jerusalem, which is the head church, and they're basically saying, what on earth is going on? I mean, you're giving the gospel to the Gentiles. And so what does he say in Acts 11, verse 15? As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. The early church was spirit-fueled. You cannot get away from that. A.W. Tozer, he's an American author, says this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. That is sobering. I've always said, if I point one finger at you, I point three at myself. Is that true of Foundation Church? Would it be true of Redeemer? Would 95% of Redeemer just keep going without the Holy Spirit? If you've ever done the Alpha course, the old classic uh, talks used to be done by a guy called Nicky Gumball, and when he was talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, there's this thing, oh, the Holy Spirit has left the Church of England, and he says, oh, it's a bit of a shame, but I think we'll carry on. And he says, of course we can't. And he does the whole talks on the Holy Spirit. 
But I sometimes think, how do we feel about it? How would we feel about next Friday, next Sunday, if you thought the Holy Spirit wasn't here? Throughout history, we try and find new fuels to make things happen. You think about it. We used to only be able to make things happen at the speed we could walk. Then we get on the back of a horse and we think we can do things at the speed of a horse. It was then the Industrial Revolution that we decided we can jump on the back of steam and things are going to go so much faster and farther than ever before. After that, we then developed petrol and now we're all petrol heads. We love our cars, don't we? And where can we go? Suddenly feeling guilty, we think, uh, let's switch to electricity. Sometimes I think the danger is the church. We're always looking for what's the next fuel? What's the next power? What's the next silver bullet? But I think if we look at the Bible, there is only one. And it is to be filled with the power of the Spirit. We call Redeemer a family. We do an evening called Joining the Family, which I guess is really an introduction to membership. I'm not trying to entice any of you guys to come. You're all with Owen. I'm just explaining what goes on. We have to talk about this is our DNA, this is our vision, this is our values, this is where we've come from, this is where we're going. And we ask people three questions, and they're meant to fill it in on their sheet. Tell us about when you got saved. And most people, they can tell us a story. It might be a one-off day. For me, it was a one-off day. I remember a date in June when I prayed beside the bed with my dad. I was nine years old. I said, Father in heaven, I'm sorry for what I've done. Thank you, Jesus died. Please forgive me. But some people, they think, well, I can't do that. But I know I've changed. I used to live for myself. I now live for God. Easy question. We then say to them things like, tell us when you were baptized in water. And most people, they think, oh, that's an easy one. I was baptized then. Well, I've not been baptized. I said, that's great. We've got a baptism coming up. Jump in. It's your turn next. The third question we often say is, tell us when you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the 10 years I've been leading with Redeemer Church, it's the most confusing question. People just can't answer it. Well, I got teary once. I remember feeling a little shaky, so I sat down. Oh, it was a very powerful time of singing, and I felt quite overcome. And it's almost like we've lost our understanding of what it means like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I could tell you when I got saved. I could tell you when I got baptized. Some of them say, well, I think I am, but I'm not sure. I always find that a fascinating answer, you know what I'm saying? I think I'm married, but I'm not sure. I mean, what kind of response would that get me? <laughs> Come on, Pete, sort it out. None of us would say that would be acceptable. Oh, you think you're married, but you're not sure? You think you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not sure? Why have we lost our clarity about this? Warren Wisby, he's a Bible teacher, says this, it is futile for us to try and serve God without the power of the Holy Spirit. Talent, training, and experience cannot take the place of the power of the Spirit. God, that bothers me. I don't want to build a church on talent, experience, or training. I want to build it because the Holy Spirit is here, and he's building his church. I told you that uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, 
Uh, we actually had a, a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Word, if I'm really honest. Uh, so we talked lots about Father in heaven, we talked lots about Jesus dying on the cross, and we talked a lot about the power of the Scripture. We didn't actually talk much about the Holy Spirit. I guess if I was really honest, it ended up my Christian life. I told you I was nine years old when I prayed the prayer, when I said, I want to trust Jesus myself, not just my parents. But if I was really honest, I felt like I, I sagged between Sundays. It's a bit like the old telephone wise, you know, that you could see in the countryside. Every Sunday, I think, oh, I'm going to try and do better. I'm going to read the Bible. In fact, I'm going to read it, what I should have read for the last six days. I'll read it all today and get me back up to scratch, and then I'll try again. I'm going to pray today. I forgot for the last six days, but hopefully I'll do. And then the week, I could sag again. And I go back to church and think, oh, God, I'm really going to try harder for you. I was a teenager when I went on a youth camp, and they started talking about the Holy Spirit. I remember saying, cool, if there's a Holy Spirit, I'd like that. Now, look, this is not in the Bible. I'm just telling you my story. I would have said before that camp, I was like an aeroplane. I was a believer. I was an aeroplane, but I only ever taxied around the airport. And planes are meant to fly. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to get in a plane and just go up and down the runway, do they? Hey, hey. Whoa, it's dangerous. <laughs> you want to get in a plane and take off. For me, I would say in my Christian life, I started to take off. It wasn't I didn't sin anymore, but I wanted to express myself in worship. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to tell somebody else about the great news that I've got in Jesus Christ. I still ask God every day, fill me again. It says in Ephesians 5.18, doesn't it? Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Corrie Den Boom, she was um, a Dutch lady. They were watchmakers. They hid Jews. She gets taken into a concentration camp. Her sister dies there. She ends up shaking hands with one of the gods. She says, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. I want to encourage you as a church. Hey, if this has just become confusing, exhausting, and tedious, oh, let's drink again of him. It was great being here at the end of last year and appointing elders and saying, yay, the church is there. But actually, we've got an adventure until he calls us home or he comes back. I will finish with this quote. Reinhard Bonnke, the German evangelist, says this, the less Holy Spirit we have, the more coffee and cake we need to keep the church going. <laughs> we laugh, but is it true? I've lost the power of God, but hey, I didn't get any cake today. I'm sorry about that. I had to slip through because I'd not sent my PowerPoint ahead. But hey, I, I'm not just trying to dig the thing. But do we lead the church on great coffee and good cake? Or do we say, well, actually, he's here by his spirit. And who knows what he's going to suddenly do? I'm asking you the question as I finish. Are you open to the Holy Spirit or do you pursue the Holy Spirit?
I think we should be those that come and pursue him. I could get myself in trouble because Owen leads the church here and I know we're going to break bread, but I'd like us to take a moment to pray. And if I'm going to encourage you, just for just a moment, just pretend you're in the pool. And if you think that I'm keen to receive more of the Holy Spirit, why don't you come to the front? And we're just going to take a moment. And anyone who wants to come, you could just come and say, actually... Oh, I want to pursue the Holy Spirit. I recognize my need of his power. I want this church being built because of him. Yeah. If that is you, why don't you come forward now? And then we're just going to take a moment to pray.